an important conversation with my friend Ryan Mickler from Order of Man. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 78 of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, the host coming at you from the Broken Time studio right here in Clark Fork, Idaho. How you guys doing? Thanks a bunch for being here. I'm really, really excited about this episode, and I'm going to get into the details with that here in just a minute. i got a few things to cover uh, that you guys won't want to miss. So let's start with the the bugle tubes. I've had a bunch of – I made a post the other day. Because we've got, I know, everybody's excited because September's coming and I can barely sleep at night. I'm getting ready. Uh, hope you guys are doing all your pre-September things that, uh, for those of you that are going out in September for, for the, uh, you know, archery elk season. Uh, I can't wait. I can't wait. So, there has been, I, I made a post, getting back to that, uh, that I got this new Phelps game call, uh, the metal bugle tube they came out with. Um, it's like new technology. It's a new thing. And everybody's like, oh, I'd love to hear the difference. And so I've got the tubes here. Now, I, I want to like put this disclaimer out here that every time I bugle through a microphone, it kind of sounds like I'm in a tin can or something. So you got to kind of keep that in mind. Um, I don't really know how to change that uh, because I do have I have a pretty good microphone here. But a- anyway, the point being, it, it's not going to sound like it is when you are out in the woods calling in elk. But I do want to do a quick comparison. So the comparison for these two bugle tubes, the first one is going to be my go-to bugle tube that I've been using for a couple of years, the Phelps Game Call uh, Renegade, which is kind of like the Dirk Durham signature bugle tube. Um, and it, it's a it's a great tube. I've called in a bunch of elk with it. So, And what I'm going to do is just like a locator bugle. And... For those of you going out for your first season, that you can't kill an elk unless you locate one, right? And so I want to talk to you about that for just a quick second. Like when you're when you're out there and you you come across a drainage that's deep, it's dark, it's steep, it's got a lot of timber in it. Depending on you know where you're hunting, this is not going to apply to somebody maybe in New Mexico or parts of Utah or or you know some areas of of Wyoming. Uh, and, and including Idaho, but but for the rest of us that are hunting the timber country, the dark timber, when you come across that drainage and, and your initial thought when you see that drainage is, holy shit, that thing is deep, steep, and I don't know how I'd ever get an elk out of there. I might as well take a fork and uh, go down there and eat it down there. <laughs> so that's where you want to bugle into, okay? Um, and this is what I do. And I elicit a lot of responses this way by finding these dark, deep uh, drainages, um, these holes, if you will. Uh, and that's that's where I, li- I elicit a lot of responses from, from bulls. And so 
the the point of this is to show you this is this is my my go-to locator bugle and the difference between the Phelps Renegade Dirk Durham signature bugle tube and this metal tube and I think for you know just from what I've been using the the metal tube is going to be a little bit heavier to carry but it has it gives you this added volume that you're not going to get out of the the other plastic tubes um do you need it to kill an elk no but if you want to get that higher pitched resonating volume uh this thing's pretty cool and i was leery at first but i i bought one just to try it out and i was leery so let's go ahead i'm gonna do so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna i'm gonna scoot the mic back just a touch and i'm gonna point my bugle tube in both times in the exact same location so again, this is the Phelps Renegade, the Dirk Durham Signature Bugle Tube, and here's a locator bugle on it. Let's see what you think. All right, so that's what I'm doing. Uh, I've gotten more elk to respond back to me with that exact bugle, um, that sound. Now I'm going to do it again, but with the Phelps Metal Bugle Tube. See if you could tell the difference. Again, that it's not like it's this crazy big difference, but what the difference is, and I don't know if the mic is going to be able to pick it up, is you're going to get that tonal high pitch that just tend to make elk think, man, I'm going to talk back to that guy. Uh, and, and it's just a little higher and I'm pretty excited to take it out. Uh, if you can't tell, I'm pretty excited about it. So there you go. There's the comparison between the two. Uh, I've been thinking about doing a video, uh, but I'm, I'm like all over the place right now and don't have a, a set time where I'm going to be able to do that for you guys. But, uh, before I get into the interview part of this show, um, to leave out the normal commercial ad role, uh, I'm going to announce them now. And the reason I'm doing that now is because, um, Hunting season is fast approaching. For many of you, I know there's some speed goat hunts that have opened up uh, and some other things out there that are that are coming. Utah, I know you got elk season is going to be opening here in a few days. Uh, yeah, so good luck for you guys. Um, it's going to be super hot on that, but good luck. Good luck. So, And keep us posted here at the Western Huntsman. You guys get an elk down. Send those pictures over to Jim at thewesternhuntsman.com, and I will post them on our social media with your permission. And by you sending them to me via email, I will assume I have your permission to post those and congratulate you uh, because it's going to be a big deal. It's a big deal to tag out on an, on an elk. So um, that said, let's let's roll right into Guys, if you need gear, now is the time to get it. And, and the gear that we offer here, I've got some discounts for you. So... Uh, first and foremost, since we were just dealing with Phelps, Phelps Game Calls is the oldest sponsor on the Western Huntsman podcast. I love this company. It's got a great company story and fantastic products calling in whether we're talking elk. They've got deer calls. They've got predator calls. They've got waterfowl calls. Uh, all the calls that you can you can think of, um, and they're all available right now at phelpsgamecalls.com. Use the promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. Uh, next up, I want to talk to you guys about boots. Uh, I have I've mentioned this before. I am somewhat of an authority when it comes to boots because of my history, and I love a good set of boots. 
There are a few things that you guys need to make sure if you're serious about hunting that you don't chintz out on when it comes to gear, and that is boots. Boots is one of those pieces of gear that uh, you guys really, really need to make sure you don't skimp out on. There's a lot of great boots out there. For me, um, I, I've worn a lot of them. I, uh, and You guys know if you listen to this show, I am a Hoffman boot guy. Hoffman is a local North Idaho company for me. I know the owner. It's a very, It's very much based on a relationship. But I also did tell Jim Hoffman that if I didn't like the boots, I would not have them on the show. Well, he didn't have to worry about that because I love these boots. You guys know it. I've been uh, using these Hoffman boots. And I run, I like the 8-inch Explorer. uh, And they've also got them in the 8-inch. So it just depends on how high you like them up your ankle. But uh, excellent traction, excellent waterproofing, excellent warranty, first-class, world-class company. Uh, just a great boot all around, and use promo code if you go to HoffmanBoots.com. Use promo code Huntsman10, and that is all caps lock for 10% off. Save you a little bit of money. Uh, Scree gear. Scree is uh, if, if you guys are needing to re-outfit with new camo, um, this high-performance stuff it will definitely take care of your needs. They've got everything from complete layering systems to cold weather to mild climate, early season type kind of stuff. Uh, the, the Scree gear has, for me, without having to drop a small fortune or take out a second mortgage, been better than the stuff that I have dropped a small fortune on in the past. And so I'm a firm believer in this Scree gear. Go to ScreeGear.com and use the promo code the Western Huntsman for 15% off. That's my one oddball uh, promo code, by the way. Uh, Hoffman Boots has to be all caps lock. So that's a little bit odd, but this one is the Western Huntsman instead of like Huntsman 10 or something. But it gives you uh, 15% off and free shipping. Guys, they have a VIP sizing guarantee. If it doesn't fit you right, you just send it back and they uh, send you a new pair. Um, And last but not least, Tacticam is on the docket. Go to the westernhuntsman.com forward slash gear and you can get you some Tacticam. Um, The difference between buying Tacticam gear elsewhere versus on my website is we donate a portion of those proceeds to conservation or towards places like Sportsman's Alliance that takes care of us when it comes to the fight against anti-hunters. Tacticam is a great way to film your hunt and create your own content or just make the memories and and always have them. Uh, It's uh, the the Tacticam 5.0 is my go-to camera. They've got the wide lens as well. I run that one on my shoulder. And then the other one has, I have this flex clamp that I, I can attach to a tree as I'm calling it a bowl and film the whole thing from my shot uh, to to the to the arrow actually hitting my target, whatever, and it allows you to go back and kind of review that footage and find out what you did right or wrong. On the Tacticam note, I have a big order of Reveal X, uh, the the Reveal Cell Cam. The cell cameras are should be here in the next week or so. I'm really looking forward to those. I know they've been really hard to get, but the Reveal Cell Cam is. Uh, is on its way, and I'll make a post about it if you guys want those. And again, like everything, whether it's swag or the camera items uh, or gear items on the westernhuntsman.com website, the proceeds uh, portion of that goes to conservation efforts. So, guys, with that, let's get into it. This episode, this interview, is with Ryan Mickler. He is the founder and the host of the Order of Man podcast, and the movement, I should say, the Order of Man movement. They have a group called the Iron Council. Um, This is an important conversation. Ryan is a fearless man. 
And that's what I really admire about him. He doesn't care if you're upset with what he says. And he shouldn't be. He he is firm in his beliefs. And I am one of those guys that believes that what is the point of having principles if you don't stand up for them? And that's what Ryan does. So his podcast, Order of Man, he gets great guys on. He gets great guests on like Jocko Willink and... Uh, he had Steve Ranella on, and, and uh, he's had all sorts of, of people that, I, I mean, j- just inspiring kind of guests that you can learn a lot from. I'd encourage you to check the podcast out for sure. Uh, go to Ryan, or I'm sorry, orderman.com and uh, check out the website there. All those show links are going to be in the, uh, in the show notes. I think I said that right. <laughs> right? All the links are going to be in the show notes. Anyways, um, y- you guys, Ryan is super inspiring. Uh, again, I, I believe he is is one of the most fearless people out there. He's put together this great platform that was this big void missing out there. And some of the societal things that make folks like you and I uh, cringe, or so to speak, <laughs> he addresses those. And he takes them head on and, and right straight forward, right into the battle, right into the fire. And he's, he's just fearless when it comes to this. And he's just a great guy. Way to go. Uh, I, I really love his platform, and I think you guys are going to like it too. You know what was super interesting about this interview is, you know, I've had a lot of big names, so to speak, guests on this show. I've had them, whether they're in person or we do them remotely or whatever, uh, I've had some big names on the show. And people don't generally throw me off or make me nervous, no matter who they are. I just, I'm not one of those people that gets worked up about, you know, oh, this guy has this big of a name or this person is this well known and. Um, you know, but there, there was something about having Ryan on that I was, I was kind of a little nervous and off my game. I, I, I could tell as I edited the interview and, and listened to it back, uh, that, and, and I think that what that is, is it's, it's partly he's, he's this guy that sets this huge standard of what it means to be a man and how to be a man and, and protect and preside and provide and do all these things. And we talk about his journey into hunting and, and how that that's changed him and, and his reactions to becoming a hunter um, and and all these things and, and it's one of the standard is so high with him I felt like man I don't want to disappoint him or let him down and also he does a really good job with his podcast and I feel like I don't <laughs> you guys know what I mean I've, I've complained about this in the past um, and, and and so anyways I was a little nervous with this one and I think that that just speaks to uh, the, the way that that Ryan has impacted me. Uh, as I've followed him over the last several years and, and just uh, really enjoyed it. So, guys, without uh, I, I don't need to babble on anymore. With that said, let's get into it with Ryan Mickler of Order of Man Podcast. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, this week I've got my new friend, Ryan Mickler, who I've been uh, following and been a huge fan of for a long time, and um, finally, finally I was able to nail down a time where we can get him on the show and uh, talk, a, we're, we're going to have a great conversation. Uh, we've got a lot of different topics, and Ryan is the owner and founder of a movement called Order of Man, and it is kind of comprised of a website in an, an iron council group and a podcast that is excellent you've got great guests ryan i appreciate you coming on the show how you doing man 
Good, brother. Looking forward to the conversation today. Me too. It's uh, it's uh, for, for me, it's been something that I've I've really been looking forward to because I I think that um, you know, I have a lot of respect for you and and what you do uh, specifically, not just the messaging that you do. It's uh, th- this movement that you've created, uh, this following that you've you've created over the last I don't know what six seven years, mm-hmm. uh, starting Order of Man, and uh, it's just been really fulfilling to watch from my end because I feel like you have found this uh, void out there that is being that is being filled by your platform. So again, thanks for coming on, and uh, let's kick this off with giving us a little snapshot of who you are and. Let's start. Let's start with you, Ryan. I, tell us a little bit about you. Where are you from, and and how'd you grow up? Uh, yeah, I live in Maine. I'm a father. I've got four kids. I've been married for 17 years. Just moved out here a couple of years ago for a bit of an adventure, and started Order of Man about six years or so ago. And can you give us a, an overview of what Order of Man is, in case you know somebody's living under a rock and doesn't know what it is? Yeah, I started Order of Man really with the goal of of helping men with uh, conversations, tools, resources that they need to thrive as men. So to step up as fathers, husbands, business owners, community leaders. Uh, and like I said, we've been doing uh, that since 2015, March of 2015. And we've had, gosh, I think we've had over 350 guests now on the podcast. And we've got an exclusive brotherhood, which is called the Iron Council. We've got events that we run. So we run the full gambit on whatever we can do to help men uh, succeed and thrive in life, which is really what I'm after. So I know a lot of guys are after the same thing. Yeah, for sure. I, You know what's always been a curiosity from my end, uh, Ryan, is is going back prior to six years ago when you when you started the Order of Man, um, what what was going through your mind? Where Where did this idea come from? So I had started another podcast. I was in the financial planning field and I had started a podcast called Wealth Anatomy, which was dedicated to helping medical professionals with their financial services and needs, insurance, investments, retirement planning, et cetera. Uh, and realized very quickly, I love the medium of podcasting, but I didn't want to have that continued conversation that I'd had for you know 10 plus years at that point. Actually, I think it was just a little under 10 years. So it was about eight or nine years. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I realized, again, I love the medium of podcasting. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool if I could get one-on-one coaching with individuals that I think highly of and respect? Uh, and so it, it, it started from very maybe uh, humble or even selfish beginnings. Uh, and I thought, well, why would these guys give me the time of day? And I thought, well, if, if I start a podcast and broadcast this to the masses, then perhaps they'll they'll share some time with me. Uh, and so that that's exactly what happened. So, again, 2015, we launched this thing. We had some very early success. We had a lot of people sharing what we were doing. And from then on, it was it was off to the races. So. Uh, I wish I could say it was very noble intent. Like I had this idea to start this, this movement that would span the entire planet and help thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of men, which it has now, but, uh, it really was very humble. Uh, and like I said, it was, it was selfish, but, uh, I felt like I could put this out in the yeah. world and guys would be served and they have been. So it's been, it's been pretty cool. Yeah. It's funny you say that. I kind of, I had, I had a lot of selfish reasons starting my podcast as well. It's like, man, I could get some really excellent hunters on my show and I could learn a lot. But the, the idea is it's, it's benefiting a lot of people that, that hear a lot of different information. You get, you get some crazy good guests, dude. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've been fortunate that way. We've had Matthew McConaughey on and Jocko and uh, who else? Marcus Luttrell, David Goggins, Andy Frasilla, John Eldridge, which was an early influence for me and helping me become a better man. So the the lineup of guests that we've had has been incredible. And it's a huge blessing that uh, I've been able to create something that these men want to join us. And then also other men are served by listening to our conversations. So yeah, I'm tremendously blessed that way. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's an interesting topic too. Um, the, the kind of, the whole focus or the, um, uh, one of the driving messages is to restore masculinity. And, and I want to, I want to talk about that for a minute. It's not something we cover a lot on my show, but I, I kind of want to touch on that because I think that people can misinterpret that, what that means and how you define restoring masculinity and what's missing in masculinity. Can we, can we talk about like when, whether, whether we're talking now or going back prior to starting order of man, where did the idea of restoring masculinity come from to you? And like, what, what was lacking in your mind? Does that make sense? Sure. You, you know, you, you did some say something interesting. So I was going to ask you a question on that. You said people would misinterpret that. I'm, I'm, I'm actually not sure how they would misinterpret that unless they're trying to deliberately misinterpret that. But uh, I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah. What, what I think about that is in, in a society that we live in today, in, in this overly sensitive world of social media and wokeness and all these, these other things that happen, I can see people getting on there and, you know, you hear all these things about toxic masculinity and, and there's, there's a lot of ridiculousness. And, and I think what, what I'm really implying at the, the question would be thrown back to you. How do you define masculinity? Because that's what I think could be misinterpreted. Um, Masculinity has a lot of different personas, if you will. I mean, not really. It doesn't actually, um, you know, people misinterpret that. Like you said, masculinity mm-hmm. has been defined by, you know, thousands and thousands of years of experience on this planet. So, I mean, it's not, there's not really any confusion about what it means to be a man and what masculinity is, unless you're intentionally and deliberately trying to misinterpret it to fit your ideology or narrative. Uh, mm-hmm. David Gilmore did some great work uh, with a book called uh, Man in the Making. Oh, excuse me. Man, now I'm drawing a blank. I'm going to have to look at that. Uh, anyways, and he, what he did is he went through uh, just different cultures throughout time and history and looked at what they thought about masculinity and found some striking similarities between cultures that had not even been introduced to each other. You know, one of the yeah. common things you'll hear from people is that masculinity is a social construct. Well, it's not at all. It's actually a biological construct. And it's supported societally because it works. It hasn't been until relatively recently when we have this ease of modernity, which uh, we can call into question what it means to be a man and what a man should be doing. If times were more difficult, then nobody would be questioning what a man does and how he shows up. So what David Gilmore has found is that, again, there were some striking similarities, and he narrowed it down to three components of of what he would say is masculinity defined by these different cultures. He said, protect, provide. And the third one was to procreate. Now I've changed that a little bit to, because I've interpreted it in my own way. And I don't think being able to procreate necessarily defines you as a man. I know plenty of, of males who I would consider among the manliest men I know, and uh, whether by their own desires or medical restrictions and limitations, haven't been able to procreate. So 
the way that I define masculinity is that of a protector, a provider, and one who presides, which is synonymous with leadership. Uh, so that that isn't that, that's not confusing. That isn't uh, controversial. Uh, plenty of data suggests that that is the case. Uh, we we've we've embraced that for thousands and thousands of years. And you know now, and again, the ease of modernity, people can call that into question. But when shit hits the fan, who do men turn to? Uh, excuse me, who do society turn to? Well, they turn to the men because we go back to those biological. Uh, hardwiring that uh, men and women have have developed Gosh, over tens of thousands of years. Yeah, yeah. I, and you the book is manhood in the something. making. By the way, I, I, I oh manhood in the making. Okay, right. I've, I, okay. I butchered that. Um, a little bit. That's what it's called. Yeah, yeah. No, I, it's uh, and no worries on that, man. I I go blank more often when I'm recording a podcast and <laughs> any other time. Um, with that, but the getting, I want to, I want to touch on something that you said when, when you're talking about these societies is specifically the ancient societies that were never introduced to each other. And I've, I've talked about this multiple times, um, not necessarily on the show, but it is an interesting concept. This, this, uh, ancient theme of men being protectors and what I'm getting at is like, when you look at the samurai uh, from, from Japan and all that was going on at the same time. The Nez Perce Indians were, were here in, in my neck of the woods in Idaho. Uh, and, and they were honoring these warriors and had these stories about the, the heart of the monster and all these things that I can get into. All this was going on at the same time. And if you, if you strip away some of the nuances of, of what, you know, whatever part of the world they're in, uh, they they were never connected. They know nothing about each other, but their goals and their dreams and their ambitions and their cultural, um, I, I don't know how to say that, the, the cultural identities all centered around the same things. And and that is what is getting perverted today. Does that make sense? Well, it's easy to distort or warp or misinterpret what it means to be a man in a relatively easy environment. I mean, the reason people have the opportunity to even call into question what it means to be a man is because men created and provided those freedoms for them to do so. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a bit ironic to, uh, to, to, to see what we're seeing now, but yeah, you're exactly right. Like everybody knows what it means to be a man and it really isn't called into question until things are comfortable and complacent and easy. But as I said earlier, when things go south, Everybody looks to the man to be the type of men they they would hope they would become. And so what we have is we have millions and millions of males, and there's a difference between a male and a man, but millions of males across the planet who are far inadequate uh, and inferior of being able to deal with these situations. And fortunately, you know, it's nice. It's a luxury. They haven't had to deal with this. They haven't had to go to war. They haven't had to deal with natural disasters or emergencies or famine or any of this stuff. And, and that's nice. Mm-hmm. But uh, when, when things go south, you know, I think it's really going to be able to identify who, who are the men and who are the boys. Yeah. Um, great point. And, and that's, that's exactly one of the, one of the things that we talk about a lot on my show is uh, this anti-hunting movement and, and the threats we face as hunters. Um, and, and I, it's a new thing, right? This is not the, the the anti-hunting movement does not have some hundred or 200 year track record. It's, right. it's a new thing. And I've kind of 
put the blame on the, of this movement as to exactly what you just stated, which is we've, we've got this life where there is nothing. It's almost like people get bored. You know, it's, it's easy to go to McDonald's and easy to go to a grocery store and, and, uh, we have electricity and power and heat and we have air conditioning. We have all these luxuries. We don't have to go very far. Mm-hmm. Uh, physically, we can get in a car. Uh, we could ride in a plane. We could do all these things that have made this, this lifestyle of, of comfort and simpleness. And, you know, it, w- there's not a lot of suffering when, yeah. when that happens. And if you look back, like through world history, you know, this happened in Greece, this happened in Rome. When that when that level is achieved, people start finding new ways to create almost like this false sense of suffering. And and I, I believe that that's where the anti-hunting movement was kind of born out of. Um, and and they 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 make it sound like it's not this necessary thing anymore. And it's it's uh, it's cruel. It's it's all these things, all these buzzwords that they like to use. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think. <laughs> I think you you nailed it, man. That's that's a great way to put it. What do you think is lacking the most in terms of masculinity? Uh, that's a that's an interesting question. I, you know, I think the biggest thing that's lacking is not so much what we as men are lacking, but what society is lacking. And this goes to your earlier point where uh, we don't have any real issues, so we make up dumb shit to worry about. Right. We're worried about which bathroom to use and who dropped out of the Olympics and who stuck around and, you know, what our favorite sports team is doing and what the new Netflix documentary is that we should be watching. And uh, so we get outraged over nonsense, things that really aren't all that important because we don't have anything else to worry about. And that's what we as men are looking for. We're looking for challenge. We're looking for strife and turmoil. Uh, And then we rise to that uh, occasion. We, we make ourselves more capable physically, mentally, and emotionally. And because those things don't exist, we uh, are really lacking in a sense of purpose and direction, which is why you see uh, suicide rates on the rise with men uh, up to that uh, uh, four to five times higher than women. Uh, you see depression on the rise. You see drug abuse on the rise and alcohol abuse on the rise. That's because we don't have anything real to worry about. So I think what really is lacking for men is, uh, a problem, a meaningful mm-hmm. problem where they can actually rise to the occasion and strive to make themselves better and more significant so they can deal with the the demons that are in front of them. But we just don't have any anymore, which is good. Again, it's good. I'm not I'm not complaining about that. You know, the fact that I'm not probably not in my lifetime going to have to fight uh, for my life uh, with with another human being that uh, we live in a, a relatively comfortable, violent, free, turmoil-free life. That's wonderful. So what do we do now? Well, you've got to go out and find something meaningful. And that might be, as John Eldridge would say, since I talked about him earlier, uh, a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. And yet most men don't do that. There's no battle. There's no challenge. There's no turmoil or suffering. There's no beauty uh, less and less men are, are getting married or even believe in the sanctity of marriage or even partnering with a woman. Uh, and there's no adventure. We live in these concrete jungles. We're, we're in cubicles all day long that are more akin to jail cells than they are somewhere we can be creative and, 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 and produce wonderful you know, solutions to problems that we're dealing with. And, and we're miserable. So, yeah, I mean, th- there's no 
doubt in my mind that uh, men are feeling inadequate and inferior. And as I said earlier, making up a bunch of dumb stuff to worry about. Yeah, that uh, statement going back to John Eldridge, um, that that was a great episode, that, that last one you did with him, mm-hmm. um, by the way. Thank and you. the 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 concept of that, the concept of a battle to fight, um, th- those things that, that are in today's society lacking, I think that, I don't know, what is the solution with this? Because like you said, we've got all these comforts, right? And, and what, what is the solution in your mind to overcome the lack of a battle to fight, a, a beauty to save? And now I'm, now I'm the one going blank with uh, that it's been it's been several years since i read his book but um those those concepts that are that are kind of lost today what do you what in your mind what is the solution to that well the answer is in the question a battle to fight an adventure to live and a beauty to rescue that that's the answer find mm-hmm. something meaningful find something that's challenging that's difficult but that calls to you that speaks to you maybe it's charity maybe it's some sort of ecclesiastical service Maybe it's starting a new business or a project or, uh, you know, uh, picking up a new hobby, but find something that calls to you and don't quit when it gets rough and it will get rough and challenging. You know, I've had my fair share of struggles and setbacks on this journey over the past six years with growing this movement, but I'm able to overcome it because it's the battle. It's the hill that I'm willing to die on. And so mm-hmm. I put it out there and I exert myself and uh, I share what's on my mind and uh, it's meaningful to me. The adventure to live, yeah, go take a risk, right? When's the last time you risked yourself physically, mentally, emotionally? When's the last time you put put yourself on the line? When's the last time you struggled physically? Uh, when's the last time you confronted nature, whether that's a five or 10 mile hike up the toughest hike you can find or going to run a marathon or, you know, going to, to, to swim, you know, 100 miles or 10 miles or whatever it is. Uh, yeah. And then the beauty to rescue is like, who, who, who is it that you, that you want to serve, that you want to lead? Is there a woman in your life? How do you woo her over? How do you continue to court her? How do you show her that she's important to you, that you care about her and that uh, you, you want to serve her and provide for her? Uh, the answer is in the question. You know, you just, you, you got to go out and find these things. And the more you do, the more fulfilled you'll be, the more capable you'll be because you'll be working towards solutions to your problems and uh, you live a better life and the people around you will as well. You know, your kids, your wife, your friends, your colleagues, your coworkers, your clients will all be better because you're around. One thing that we kind of glassed over that where you really articulate this well, um, you, you were pretty humble there uh, in the in the beginning, introducing yourself. But um, for those listening, Ryan has written a book called Sovereignty and uh, this book, dude, th- this book is amazing. And and I don't say that because I'm not like groveling here. It, it it actually it actually was one of the first books that I have read that resonated in a in a way that was complicated, stuffed, dumbed down for a guy like me that can understand it. Does that make sense? It's, well, it's, it's laid out. It's written by a, by a, a dumb guy like me who needs to write <laughs> it in that way so I can wrap my head around it. So you, you well, and me are kindred spirits in that in that context. I, I it, it happens, man. And and so no, I uh, and it's cool. I, I read the I, I've got the paperback version, and then I I've also I like the audio version too. Um, Thank you. But the the book what was that twenty seventeen or something that came out. 
Yeah. Um, and I, I just want to touch on like the principles of that book since we got you on, because, uh, gosh, man, I think like every dude in society today should read that book. And it is, it, it is, a. It, it, this isn't just a, a again, a, a groveling, um, performance here to try to sell some books. It, it legitimately is helpful and it, it legitimately has structure to it that makes sense and is easy to follow. And for, for, because a lot of dudes out there are like me, we need dudes like me need dudes like you. We, we didn't, we, we weren't able to put that kind of information together in our own mind to, to formalize or organize uh, a lifestyle that helps us improve every day and helps us achieve bigger things and, and kind of sometimes in a lot of ways, wake us up from our own. Um, and, and I, by that, I don't mean the wokeness thing, just wake us up from this, shake us out of this, this societal norm that a lot of men fall into that creates the depressions and, and the suicides that, that you were kind of alluding to earlier. Um, and that's that's what this book does, and and that's this that's what this book it, it's very good at articulating these principles and the, and the principles in it. Like, uh, can you, well, I'll let you you're going to explain a lot better than I can. Walk us through the book. Where, like, give us the 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 basis of the book. Yeah, so I wrote, like you said, sovereignty in 2017, and and I did it with the goal of helping men become you know sovereign individuals, taking charge and authority over their life. <laughs> Uh, we see too many men who relinquish control to their wives and their spouses and their bosses and their employees and the government and everything else they can. You know, my my boss is a jerk. My wife is a bitch. My this is the that. And it's like, you know, when you do that, when you when you blame everybody else in any other situation for your shortcomings, essentially what you're doing is you're giving away your power to do anything about it. I mean, that's that's what's happening. Like if, if, if I was blaming, for example, my podcast performance, uh, on, on my audience, like nobody listens, nobody cares about this stuff. And I was just, you know, complaining about it. Uh, then I'm just going to sit back and wait for them to change or hopefully they'll come around. But if instead I say, well, what can I do to improve the reach that I have with, uh, with the podcast and how can I make myself better? What skills do I need to develop? Then I, maintain some of that sovereignty, that control and autonomy over my own life. And that's yeah. what the entire book is about. It's about creating a code of conduct uh, and how you'll conduct yourself and your behavior. Uh, it's about the external and internal threats that we, that we deal with uh, that, that at, are at odds with our sovereignty uh, and, and, and really guides the reader through a, a simple process uh, that they can use in their life to take control once and for all of their own life. But it's not for everybody, you know, it, because a lot of people like to well, blame other to, people. To that, to that point, Ryan, what what I would say, so I've been reading books like, like I read a lot. I, I, re, I, I just finished the most, the craziest book about Stonewall Jackson, the Civil War. I like want to talk to somebody about it because it, it had that big of an impact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but your book mm-hmm. did that too. And I wanted to talk to people about it. And, and I, I, when I say I read a lot, I, I read a ton and it's all nonfiction kind of, kind of stuff like sovereignty. Um, I eat that kind of stuff up and, and what was pointed in and really struck me with your book is when you read a book like that, that you can, I, I guess you could classify it as, as like a self-help book, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, a lot of times when you read that, 
there's a lot of really good theoretical ideas that are hard to apply in realistic day-to-day life. Not the case with yours. And that's what I really liked about it. And that's why it had such an impact on, on somebody like me and a couple other people that I know uh, read it. I actually, I actually handed it out at, um, at a, at a, like a family function one time, <laughs> but um, oh, yeah. the, the, the point to that is, is there's, it, it, it simplifies a way to apply it in your day-to-day life. And, you know, the, the provide, the preside, it, it gives you this guide uh, that I think a lot of books in that category lack. It's, it's hard to take what you're reading and, and, and like put it into your own realm, if that makes sense, where this didn't have that problem. Um, yeah, I mean, that look, reading is great, but yeah, there's a lot of people that like to pontificate on ideas without really yeah. thinking about how to apply that in their lives. And you need both. You need to ponder and think and really dive into the world of self-development. But at some point, if you're not going to apply anything of what you learned, then what in the world is the point of even reading it? <laughs> like A yeah, lot of people yeah. believe that maybe you're just going to, I don't know, pick this stuff up through osmosis just by reading. That hasn't been the case for me. So I wanted to present the reader with some thoughts and some insights they hadn't considered before, but then we need to move into action. And so when I started Order of Man in 2015, my goal was always to bridge the gap between what we know and what we do. And if I ask men, you know, what, what, what should you do to lose weight? Everybody knows. If, if, if I ask, well, what can you do to, uh, to improve your financial affairs? Everybody knows like these aren't secrets. There's nothing out there. That's a secret. Mm-hmm. But why is it that people are fat? Why is it that people are broke? It's because there's a gap and I call this an integrity gap, but there's a gap between what they know they should be doing and what they're actually doing. And if I can provide the framework, which I consider the bridge between the two, then I, I think it's going to move more people towards doing rather than just spending a bunch of time thinking about improving their lives. Which, by the way, to go back to that depression thing, the, the darkest times in my life are when I had this vision for who I was and what I wanted to be doing. And there was a great divide between that vision of myself and the results that I was producing. Mm. It was unrealized and failed expectations. That's what the integrity gap creates. It creates depression. It creates a a sense of hopelessness. It creates, in extreme cases, suicidal thoughts and actions and behaviors. So we've got to bridge that gap. And that was what the book was all about. Yeah, and I, we've all been there. I think. I, I think any any adult man, we've all we've all been there, and and I'm sure women have been there. And I, but but I always I always make the the statement in to to my audience. I can't speak from a woman's perspective because I'm not a woman, mm-hmm. and uh, and so so I always I always kind of leave that there. But uh, we we all go through that, and so that that book. If if you guys haven't read it, that's the book's going to be. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, and then you can just get it right off your, your website, right? Orderman.com? Uh I, I don't think that we currently have any copies, but if you go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever you pick up a book, you can find it there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I, I really like the uh the audio uh version of it because it's it's uh it's actually you reading it, and I think I think that's important. So um right. I let's kind of translate that into you didn't grow up hunting. Which, by the way, what did you grow up in Utah? 
Uh, I grew up, I, I moved to Utah when I was 13 or 14 years old. What part of Utah were you in? Southern Utah. So the St. George area. Oh, down in St. George. Yeah. I, I grew right. up in central Utah. So um, okay. that, that's why I ask. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. So uh, we, I, I want to talk about that and as, which St. George, I don't know how the, I don't know how the hell you survived those summers down there. Damn, man, it gets hot. I know it gets so warm, so warm. <laughs> we're we're in Maine now, so we don't have to deal with that uh, that heat quite so much. So that's nice. No more desert. I did shoot right. a I I shot a wild boar on the Virgin River down uh, where oh, it goes really? right right before it hits Mesquite. Yep. Uh, Mesquite, Nevada. Yeah. Right. Shot a wild boar down there yeah. in like 1999. That's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Anyways, um what 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 was hunting in your mind when you were growing up like what was it like this distant thing or what what was it actually i wasn't even really introduced until hunting until i moved to utah you know so i didn't have any preconceived notions or thoughts or ideas about hunting when i was because i before i moved to utah i was in southern california so mm-hmm. no, nobody my family didn't hunt nobody that i knew hunted that i knew of um so i just wasn't exposed to it so it wasn't like I had this this idea of what it was or wasn't. I just it was ignorance, complete ignorance. It's sure. something I didn't think a lot about. Uh, but then I moved, like I said, to Utah when I was thirteen, and I remember that first uh, that first fall, uh, we drove around, and it must have been opening weekend or somewhere in there. And uh, I, I a lot of people in in Utah have outdoor you know basketball hoops you know in, in, on on their driveways. And, and we would drive around and we'd see on these basketball hoops, dead deer hanging from these basketball hoops. <laughs> and I was like, what in the world is this place that we moved to? Because it was a complete culture shift from, from what I had been uh, accustomed to. But yeah. yeah, when I grew up there in Utah, we had uh, what, what they called, technically they called it fall break, but it more aptly should have been named opening season break or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Deer hunter. Fall break deer, always co- yeah. Exactly. Uh, fall break always coincided, you know, not, not incidentally with, uh, with, with, with the uh, opening of, of deer season. So yeah, a lot of my friends would go out and they'd hunt and they'd hunt with their dads and they'd have deer camp. And that's actually something that I didn't do until about four years ago, a friend invited me. And, uh, uh, so I, I never thought ill of it or anything like that. I was always kind of fascinated and intrigued by it, but not something that was really on my radar. Um, and it, like I said, it wasn't until four years ago that I actually went on my first hunt. I feel like you got the bug, man, the, the hunting bug. It's like, uh, it's you're, you're hopelessly addicted or something. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of value that comes from it. I, I would like to do it more, but I'm just so busy and everything else. I'll, I'll tell you, my son actually has it even worse than I do. That mm-hmm. kid is, uh, a little bit crazy actually when it comes to hunting you'd rather be outside all day long um this morning i (laughs) i got back from the gym and he was already outside shooting his bow he's working on the food plot he's looking at cameras the guy the kid is just he's just insane about it and i love it because there's a lot worse things that he could be doing than figuring out the the patterns of the deer and the turkey that come into our property but yeah every opportunity i can for for the most part i do try to be pretty present with my business and family um, I'm going to yeah. take that opportunity to grow and learn through the, through the practice of hunting and, and, improving those skill sets. So you, you, you basically picked up, you moved to Maine, you've got like 40 acres, you said, mm-hmm. um, probably pretty good whitetail country. Um, what, yeah. what was kind of what, what motivated you to, to do that? 
Give you know, really hand. for us, it, yeah, no, no uh, maybe a little bit, uh, but really for us, it was it was just about adventure. My wife and I had talked about moving for quite a while, and uh, fortunately, I, I, I've been blessed with the opportunity to do my business anywhere. And so uh, I came out here and met with a friend, and I went to a week long jujitsu camp and really fell in love with it. My wife came back out. Uh, my wife and I came back out. Uh, must have been two or three months later. She fell in love with it. We put an offer out on a house and, you know, the, it, it moved pretty quickly, but we felt compelled and called to be here. So uh, it's it's been good. It's been really and you're good. digging it now, huh? That the, the You like kind of the East Coast, that north northeastern Maine, um, even with the winters up there? Yeah, we like the winners. I, I, I like hard things. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I like challenge and, and figuring out new things. I bought a snowplow for the truck and we, we, we upgraded our heating system here and we got a bunch of sleds and snowboards and like we've <laughs> embraced it. You know, I could sit here and complain about cold and wet, and miserable, and, and you could do that and you'd be justified, I think. Yeah. Or you can just embrace it and say, yeah, this is what it is. Let's make the most of it. And we have, and it's been really good. I've really enjoyed it. I, I love it, man. I, and I, I think I told you a little bit right, right before we started recording, but um, we're on 26 acres of bare land. We're, we are le- legitimately off grid right now. In fact, I'm mm. recording this because I have a generator running, powering up my hunting cabin. And that's my new studio. Cause I had, a, I had we had a cool studio at the last place, uh, the broken town mm-hmm. studio. And now, now I'm in a hunting trader with a generator and, and I, I think this, this kind of ties into some of your messaging where I love the challenge of this. It's a lot of work. It, you know, it's always, I have to go fill propane or get gas or chop wood or, you know, uh, cut a, cut a new road down this part of the property and, and get a ditch in so we can eventually get power and which I should have in a few weeks, but, um, (laughs) I love and and I I had to act like I was really bummed about having to spend money on a tractor, uh, yeah. Because my wife wasn't real thrilled about it. But there, I mean, you just where we're at, we're gonna get so much snow. It's not even funny, um, right? And so you know, you know, I had to do the whole like, yeah, oh man, we have we got to drop some money on a tractor, and that a bummer. But I was so excited about it, and I still am. And now she loves it. So and we we homeschool as well as like like you guys do and. Uh-huh. Um, just, it's just been, a, I, I love it. I, I, again, I think a lot of it feeds into my own personal primal nature of, of, uh, this, this kind of living off the land concept. And, um, I, you know, it's, it's, it's just an, I don't know. What is it about that? Does that, does that, in your opinion, is that what's kind of, it'll help feed a man's soul? Is that, uh, what would your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I'm not going to speak for every man, of course, but yeah, I, I've lived in the city. I've, I've been to the city here and there. I just got back from DC a couple of days ago, and you know, I think that has a great potential to, to, to just tear at you and just to rip your soul out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd rather be out here and be in nature and be around wildlife and be able to hike and enjoy and not be so consumed with the day-to-day bull crap that most people get wrapped up in. So it's, it's, it's definitely fed my soul. Um, we've got more into hunting and we're, we're managing this land and we're figuring it out and we're learning new skills that we didn't have before. Uh, and all of that brings a sense of fulfillment and pride to my life that I just don't think is going to be found in the concrete jungles that most people live in. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with that. I, I can't, I'm, I'm like you, I've, I've lived in big cities. Uh, I've done, I've done the whole corporate 
BS thing, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but I, I've never, I don't know that I've ever been happier yet. I, I find myself just immersed in some of the most labor intensive work. And I've done some hard, I, you know, I was in the Marines and I know you were in the service mm-hmm. as well. And, and it, all these things that, that uh, you could say were, were very difficult, but there's something about this day-to-day mundane challenge. I, I call it. it, it's not like some big epic thing or event. Um, but, uh, I, I love it. So, um, getting, getting back to hunt, are you coming out West to hunt this year? Um, I just got back from a hunt in Hawaii about a month ago. I was on an axis hunt and uh, a goat hunt in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'll be in Colorado in November for a elk hunt. And then outside of that, I've got Minnesota, potentially Texas, and then here uh, in Maine. Do you, I guess, I had all, all sorts of different questions that I, I try not to like formalize these interviews in a way. Be, I used yeah. to do that and it just, it didn't work. Man. Yeah, I just kind of have conversations. It <laughs> right. Yeah. It doesn't work for sure. Um. With, I, I guess, the concept of hunting and how that relates to being a man uh, in, in the sense of not like defining, like, I don't think you need to be a hunter to be masculine. Uh, that, that's not that's not the, the, the point I'm trying to make, because I know a lot of uh, women hunters that are a lot better at hunting than I am. So I hope it's not oh, like totally. some way to be masculine, but there i i think that i've always kind of put I think it there in. is though I, I i will interject there i think there is a level of masculinity that can be found in hunting that's oh, not for to sure. say you can't be a man if you don't hunt but i think you struggling in nature and providing and working and toiling and the thrill of the hunt and the 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 satisfaction of the kill is a very masculine thing again that's not to say like you said that women can't do it uh, or that you have to do it to be a man, but let's not say that it's there's not a, a masculine pursuit in, in in the world of hunting. There certainly is. Sure, sure. No, I my my reference was more. I don't think you need to hunt to be masculine, but it it, it there there is that sense, and it, it goes back to a lot of the the principles that you talk in the book Sovereignty, and it also goes back to a lot of the principles that John Eldridge talks about. Uh, and I, I don't want to say the book wrong, but I believe it's wild at heart. Is that right? Is that right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. That's and, right. And, and when he's talking about the, the adventure, the adventure to live mm-hmm. and, and the, the, the battle to fight hunting combines both of those, in my opinion, um, especially, I don't know if you've ever hunted for elk in September with a bow when they're screaming their heads off. But that is no, no, I have not. But yeah, that looks like a pretty incredible experience. All right, Ryan, if if you need a place to go, <laughs> get you an Idaho elk tag, and mm-hmm. uh, and come on out and see me, because yeah, it'd be great. That is the 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 one thing about that hunt that I I think that I guess it it kind of points to where I'm going with this conversation is that is a battle to fight. That is a battle to fight. Mm-hmm. You you are out there. You're up against an 800-pound animal uh, that is pissed, that is trying to fi- follow its natural, you know, its, its tendency to want to breed, and and they're they're fired up. They're protective. They're uh, and, and you're getting right up in their face, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and they're screaming in your face. It, it, it's it, sometimes it just feels like the the entire world is shaking around you when they're screaming like that, and. Uh, that is one of those like things that throughout the entire year, 
um, I, I think about and, and I, I find myself, I'll be in thought about it and I'll, I'll be smiling. My wife, you know, what, what are you smiling at? And it's, it's just such an adventure. And I'm, I'm usually alone when I'm out there hunting elk and, and it's being out there in the back country by myself, calling in bulls and, and, uh, trying to, trying to get at this, this 800 pound animal with an arrow. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, there is masculinity in that. And there is an adventure in that and, and that, that need for battle. Um, I, I don't know how to describe that. And I, I don't even know where I was going with that question. I had a question in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> got, got excited talking about it. I yeah, did. you're right. You, you know, and I, and I think, uh, every man ought to at least, uh, try his hand or go out with friends. A lot of guys will ask me, you know, how do you get into hunting? And I would suggest that you look at your current circle and there's probably somebody who hunts in your circle. And, and you just asked to tag along. I've done that, you know, before yeah. I even got into hunting, I went with a friend and he drew a, uh, a, a special unit in Utah. And I said, Hey man, I don't, I don't have a tag, but can I come spot for you? He's like, yeah, absolutely. So I went and I spotted for him and, uh, you know, and, and that was my participation in it, but I got to see what that world was all about. So, you know, if you take some active steps towards trying to immerse yourself into it or, uh, take a, uh, even a, just a step into the world of hunting, you're going to find out what, what's available. And, and if it's something that calls to you or not, realize it doesn't call to everybody, but uh, it's certainly worthy of pursuit. It's just like anything, right? I mean, if you're starting a business, you find a mentor. If you're uh, trying to become a better salesperson, you, you, you find a mentor. If you're trying to, uh, whatever the case is, if you're getting into hunting, find a mentor. And, and right. a lot of people are super willing. I think they're more willing than people give it credit for. And finding a mentor does not mean getting on Facebook and asking people where to go hunt. That's not finding a mentor. <laughs> right. Right? And, right. And so um, it, it's, it's a great concept and it's a, it's a great sport for, for people. It's not for everybody, like you said. But I, one thing I always ask people, uh, you, I, you would fall under that category of adult onset hunter, right? Yes. Um, what, what surprised you the most about hunting? Once you started getting into it. Mm, Good question. I would say that. So the first hunt that I went on with was with a a now good friend, Colin Cottrell, and he took me to Texas. He had a lease there and uh, we went and hunted whitetail. It was a bow hunt and a rifle hunt. And so the first day I was able to shoot a deer with my rifle. And I think the third day, I believe that we were there, I shot a a deer with my bow. So it was successful on both accounts. Uh, And that that first deer that I shot with with my rifle, I was was very surprised how bittersweet the moment was. I I think there's a misconception from non-hunters that, those who do hunt are these ruthless, cold-blooded killers that don't care about nature and wildlife. And yeah, that hasn't been the case for me. And, and when I walked up on this animal that was a magnificent animal, you know, it was this, this nice, mature whitetail that I had taken its life. Uh, it was it was bitter in that I know that that animal died at my hand, but it was sweet in that I set out to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. And then also I quite literally put food on the table. Uh, and, and that makes me a, a better man, frankly. Yeah. Uh, so that was, that was an interesting experience. And I still look at that moment fondly, but there's still a bit of like every time and that hasn't ended every time I look at an animal and I'm like, man, I killed that thing. And, and I didn't expect to feel that way, but I, but I think that 
that that healthy that healthy level of of reverence is important. And if you don't have that, I would actually that would be a red flag. Yeah, I was going to say if I wasn't concerned. Yeah, that'd be a red flag. That. Yeah, for right. sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like a, it's a big responsibility and it's, it's almost, there is a burden aspect sometimes to hunting and notching a tag. Um, and well, with anything, not just hunting, just with life in general, you know, we, we have to make tough decisions and the decisions we make aren't always going to go over well with everybody. And there's going to be sacrifices on your part and other people's part as you progress and improve in your career or your hobbies or your pursuits. And that's the, that's what winning requires. It requires a sacrifice. And, and if it was always easy and always enjoyable, would it be as meaningful? I, I don't know that it would. So sure. I, I embrace the pain, the suffering, and even the little bit of bitterness that comes with uh, harvesting an animal and taking it out of the forest and, and eating it. I know that's how, <laughs> for people who, who, who aren't into hunting. I know that sounds bar- barbaric, but you know, it's always funny to hear these guys like, Oh, well, you know, why are you out hunting? You should just go into the grocery store. Well, yeah, a cow had to die for you to have that steak that you had tonight. It's no different. In fact, I would argue that it's better if I go out into the, into the world and procure it myself, but yeah. it's the, it's, there's a level of hypocrisy that always is pretty astounding to me. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Don't even get me started on that. It's yeah. That's the, a whole other conversation. It's, it's fulfilling in a, in a lot of t- different ways too, in terms of I, when you, when you're bringing that meat home that you harvested yourself in the wild, this wild animal mm-hmm. that lived its mm-hmm. own, you know, speaking of, of things along the lines of sovereignty, it lived its own sovereign life. It wasn't cooped up in a, not that all farms are like that, but you know what I mean. Yeah, with with some of those animals, and to to compare uh, the level of fulfillment from buying a twenty dollars steak at a grocery store versus having elk elk meat or uh, you know venison. I, I can I I start thinking about my wife cooking all these different things. She's a really good cook, so I get excited. Mm-hmm. But um, the the fulfillment that speaks to, you know, a lot of the principles in your book, you know, providing, presiding these, these things that just kind of all feed into that. And, and that I think is what a lot of men lack in their life. They lack that fulfillment because they, they, they're, I think that there's this feeling of they haven't achieved something that falls within those categories. When you sit in a cubicle all day, you've satisfied maybe some certain task that your boss required of you. But you're not fulfilling something greater than that, something that is, and I don't think it's selfish, but it is self-serving in in terms of of self-fulfillment. I don't know. Well, it's also, yeah, it's also your primal desire. So I told you that we were in D.C. this last weekend, and we went to the Smithsonian's Museum of Natural History, which is an incredible museum. Yes, it is. You You should definitely go. Yep. and I came into the, uh, the the human evolution exhibit or whatever it was, and uh, I walked into this uh, this display, and there was a bone on the display. It, it looked like it must have been a hip bone, and there was a hole in it, and then there was this long stick. And and if I remember correctly, that that was a a, a hip bone from a horse, and the hole in the hip bone was created from uh, a spear that uh, our early ancestors had had 
thrown that spear and, and killed that animal. And it was over a hundred thousand years old. That's crazy. Yeah. It, if I, and I don't want to misspeak here, but it was like, it was like three or 400,000 years old. Holy cow. Yeah. That's and nuts. so these are our early ancestors who are hunting. They're killing animals to provide for our way of life. Mm-hmm. And then there was a, there was another bone that they had found around the same time. And it had uh, marks on the bone, which were, which were uh, congruent with uh, butchering animals again, around the same time. So our early ancestors were hunting and killing oh, yeah. animals. And so that's a very primal urge and desire and necessity, frankly. Yep. And again, it, this goes back to our earlier conversation. It isn't until the relative ease of modernity that we, we can eat plants and vegetables and be just fine. Yeah. Um, and, and you'll hear people say, well, you know, we've evolved out of that. No, we haven't. And we never will. We are hunters. We are predators. And, and that's not to say that we don't have a responsibility to make sure we're good stewards over our land. We are. But we are predators. And, and there's something to be said for embracing who you actually are and striving to become more of that person, whether it's hunting because our early ancestors have done it or even being a man when maybe you don't feel like it. You know, we have this thing about gender confusion and all this kind of stuff, you know, and, and I think a lot of it stems from uh, confusion of, of children that their parents aren't directing them and society is telling them one thing that's that's counter to biology. And then they have their friends with their peer pressure. And maybe the solution isn't to just assume that you're 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 fluid in your gender, but maybe the solution is to to embrace who you biologically are and strive to make yourself more capable in that in 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 who you are. Yeah. And so uh, this is a very this is a very difficult thing. I see people when they, when they just reject who they are and it's very sad and it creates, we know this through the data that it creates a very uh, difficult emotional and mental state for people to the point where they'll kill themselves. Yeah, over. I was going to say suicidal rates uh, among that group are pretty high. Uh, and I, yes, I don't have the exact, the, the exact facts, but it, it, in, you know, that's a, we, we could do an entire podcast on that exact topic right there. Um, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those very intriguing topics from my end, uh, just because of some personal relationships. <laughs> um, it's, I, I don't, I don't even know how to respond to that a, a lot of the times other than I feel like there's a lot of misguidance out there and there's too much yes. influence from the wrong places. Young folks need to be influenced by folks like you. Uh, and, and if they want to get into Actually, hunting, I would say young folks need to be influenced by a mother and a father who are loving and engaging Great and point. sure they can get influence outside, but every child I think deserves to have a mother and a father in the home who are engaged and present and caring and nurturing and doing all the things that mothers and fathers do. I, that's what they need. I, I, uh, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, I, you know, personally, I think the the lack of fathers uh, in most cases, and sometimes periodically, the lack of mothers. But the lack of fathers is what what has really created a lot of the struggles with the things that we're talking about. 
And um, mm-hmm. again, that's that's yeah. a whole <laughs> that's a whole podcast topic oh, right there. Yeah, yeah we can go down a, a tunnel on that one for sure. Yeah, yeah. And so I, you know, just getting back real quick, you know, hunting in terms of. Uh, well, I'll give you a great example of, and, and see if I can ask it that way. But like when this, when everybody started losing their shit over this pandemic, uh, you know, they're mm-hmm. buying toilet paper by the, by the pallet load. And, um, you know, there's like this meat shortage going on. And I, did you have, because you're a hunter, a, a slightly less panicky feeling, not that you panicked at all, or I, cause I didn't. And, and I certainly, if you didn't, or, or if I didn't, you sure as hell didn't, but, um, because you know how to procure your own meat, was there was there a level of comfort yeah, in there? I mean, I, I wish I could tell you that a hundred percent of what we eat is what we've grown and what we've killed, but that isn't the case. And so, yeah, of course, when you see, yeah, when you see supply lines uh, with with groceries and meat and vegetables and and things that you need, like that, that there's a little bit of fear to that. But we also had a full freezer, yeah. you know, so we've, we've got we've got plenty of meat set aside. And, and, and like you said, I know how to procure the meat. Uh, we've my son and my oldest son and I have spent a lot of time out in our own fields, tending the fields, creating food plots, figuring out where the deer and the turkey move so that we can put our blinds and our stands in the right place. And what what do they respond to and what food do they like best? And so these are all skill sets that I've. I have a long way to go, but I'm <laughs> developing, which gives me a better chance when, you know, something goes wrong. I mean, just the fact, here's an interesting thing that a lot of people don't think about just the ability to see a wild animal is actually a skill set. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't really think about that, but I know that I've gotten better over the past three or four years of spotting an animal that might be three or 400 yards away. Uh, my father-in-law is somebody who's, who's got the greatest sight when it comes to seeing elk and deer and and wild game and i'm like how in the world does he see this well because he practices i'm glad you brought that up that's a great i because i've been saying that for a long time it is a skill set within itself to 100 it is right of course i uh most people are oblivious i'll drive down the road um in fact just this morning i was going to the gym to get my jujitsu session in and uh i've i've looked at this field because this field is notorious for having uh, deer and there's a lot of geese in the field. I'm like, man, I want that field. I want to buy that field, whatever it is. <laughs> and and I looked over and there was probably 10 to 15 deer just in the in the back corner. I would say four or five hundred yards away. And you know, most people, I'm sure there's so many people who drove by that this morning and didn't see a thing. You know, because mm-hmm. they're into their radio or they're in their head or whatever, and that's fine. Um, but but like. Open your eyes. Be aware of your surroundings. Look at what's going on, and you're going to have a, a, a better time when things go south. If you and do. like you said, practice. My, uh, you right, remember sure. remember as kids, uh, there was that game Slug Bug when you're driving around and, and you'd find it. Yeah, right. And you punch, you yeah. punch your, your brother, your sister. Yeah, yeah sure. So that's, that's a lot of fun when you live in town, but when, when living out like where we do, um, my family, we get in the, and I've got two daughters and, and my wife will, we have, uh, it's instead of a slug bug challenge, which nobody gets slugged by the way, uh, just for any of those woke folks out there listening. Um, no, I think, but, I think, I think you should say everybody gets slugged. Everybody let those, it's, deal it's with brutal, it. man. No, <laughs> that's right. And just let those people deal with it. They don't like it. That's fine. Don't do uh, it. But here's what I we really do. I really like your attitude, man. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, our, our, our competition is, it's, you know, spotting a deer is one point, spotting an elk is two points, spotting a bull elk is three Mm. points. Uh, turkeys are a point. Anyway, the point being, um, we spent a lot of time on the road out here getting to different various things that we're doing. And, uh, my girls can spot wildlife. I mean, they, they put me through the ringer, man. And I've been doing this for 40 years. And, and they can, they can spot deer and elk. And, uh, my, my one daughter, we're, we're, we're real close to Montana. We're on the Montana side. Um, I thought she was pulling my leg, but there was a black bear probably 150 yards off Ooh, the highway. Wow. And she spotted That's that amazing. sucker, man. And uh, it's yeah. just cool. It's it, like they, they do because it is cool. I think a lot of people getting into hunting don't understand that aspect of it, that you do have to train your eye to locate these animals and be able to spot yes. them. <laughs> well, and they're, and they're, they've evolved to, to hide and have camouflage. And so they're, they're difficult to see, but yeah, you do have to train that. And it's a, it's a fun thing to get yeah, better at. For sure, man. Well, um, Ryan, I can, I could keep this going for a long time. I, I really like talking to you. I'd love to do it in the future again. Um, yeah, man, I, let's, let's kind of wrap this up. Why don't you tell folks, uh, what's coming up with the order of man? Um, maybe if, if you wouldn't mind touching on the iron council, I, I, I think that that's a valuable program. Sure. Um, yeah. Can you, can you talk about that? Yeah. So. Yeah. So, um, as far as what's coming up, we've got some events coming up and things like that. They're, they're all sold out our events now, but we, we do have some fall and, uh, well, the fall events are sold out, but we have some winter and spring events coming up. So these are, uh, exclusive for men. We do, we do, we hold men's events and then we do a father son event as well. So those will be coming online here soon. Uh, and then, like you said, we have the iron council, which is our exclusive brotherhood. This is almost a thousand men at this point who are all banded together, working together, holding each other accountable to goals and ambitions and desires and teaching each other skill sets and different things that you might need from finances to the ability to communicate effectively, to becoming a more effective leader, to improving your physical fitness or investing in real estate or whatever you might be interested in running a marathon or getting into hunting. We've got a hunting channel in there as well, or a firearms channel. So, uh, yeah, that's that's what we're doing there. I started that in 2016, I believe it was, and like I said, we've grown to a thousand people. Wow! Uh, and and it's it's been a very very powerful uh, resource for quite literally tens of thousands of men at this point. It's it's such a such a cool thing to be part of. So that's the. Do Iron you Council. think? Do you think that that is important for men that have a, a an all man? association like that where there is this level of accountability and, and, and mentorship and leadership amongst the, the group itself. Is that, do you feel like that, 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 and I'm sure it's important for women as well in, in that kind of circle, but how important is that to a man? Yeah, it's not, it's not just important. It's a necessity, Hmm. you know, to go back to what we were talking about with the evolution of, of man, we, we operated in tribes, right? And so the women would get together and they would nurture and support each other and they would support the community, the tribe, uh, by by harvesting the the, the, the plants and by making the, the blankets and the rugs and things like this. And they would get together and they'd be very communal that way. And that's great for women. Uh, and then the men would go out and they would defend the village and defend the tribe. And they'd stand shoulder to shoulder against enemies. They'd go out and they'd procure 
the the game and bring it back where it could be cooked and processed and eaten and enjoyed by the tribe. Uh, and so we've always been very tribal uh, creatures. And it isn't until, and this is the, the underlying theme, I think, of this podcast, is that it isn't until the relative ease of modernity where we no longer really do that, mm-hmm. right? And we hear guys talk about, I'm a lone wolf and I don't need anybody else. And then you see in the entertainment industry, guys like the Marlboro Man and James Bond and Jason Bourne. And these guys are uh, interpreted as being the epitome of masculinity. And what's the one thing they all have in common? They don't work well with others. And so we've we've glamorized this idea of just going out and doing it on your own. And we suffer because of it. So what we need to do instead is find as men, other men to spend time with. And here's what changes when you bring a woman to the equation. And and trust me, there's a time and a place for women to be there because I love the presence of the of a female. I love it. You know, whether it's my wife or my daughter or other females that are friends of mine, that that feminine presence is a beautiful thing. But there's also a time and a place for men to just be men, because when a woman enters the picture, it changes the equation. And in many ways, it changes it for the better. But there's got to be a time where we can release and vent and jack jaw and maybe even be, you know, a little bit uh, brass or or, 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 or crass, I should say, or, or crude at times. But, but we need that as men. You know, last uh, last night I was at jujitsu uh, and there was probably 10 of us and we were training and telling jokes and poking at each other. And gosh, that's just we need that. Yeah. And we yeah. just don't get it. Yeah. So and by the way, I will say that the the, the converse is true with uh, with women. You know, women need to be around other women. I, I fully encourage and foster and support when my wife says, hey, I want to go out with the girls or I want to see my sister or I want to spend time with my, my mom. Yes, do that. I will take the kids. I want you to go do that because I know that you're going to be served and and ultimately you're going to be a more fulfilled partner for me and a mother to our children and and all the things that I have a desire for you to yeah, be. So, no, it, yeah, we, we all need our it's own a great It's a great point that you make there. And, and I think that that gets sometimes lost in terms of, you know, this, there seems to be this pursuit to make everybody so equal in everything. And, and I think that that, that misses the point in it. it. People might not see the beauty in the difference, especially in a marriage. And men communicate mm-hmm. with each other differently than men communicate with women and women communicate with each other differently than women can communicate with men. And so there's, there's beauty in all of it. And, and I think that it's important to have fulfillment in all of that. I love getting together with the guys and shooting the shit, whether we're talking hunting or, uh, well, I have a lot of friends that want to talk sports and I, I'm not a, I'm not a big sports fan. I like to play sports, but I, I don't like I'm to not watch either, sports. But it's- and, but hey. But it's, it's still, still good. It's still good. It's it's uh, like you said, giving each other a hard time over this and that. And, and uh, you know, men are brutal with each other. And and I feel like the more uh, deep we cut with each other, sometimes joking around, the better the friendship is. Right. Um, and yeah, and yeah. so I, I think that that is is critical and it's it's sometimes lacking in a lot of circles. And so uh, people seem to want to take offense to something like that. And so I, I just, yeah, you're, you, I think you're going to have a thousand and one for the iron council. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> yeah. There's also one thing I would say about, about 
men getting together. And, and you alluded to this, as you talked about, sometimes we're pretty harsh on each other. And so generally society will look at it and say, well, you guys are being mean, right? You're hurting each other's feelings. And we're so consumed with how we feel mm-hmm. about things yep. that it comes at the expense of the positives that come with it. Uh, but there's another, there's another thing here. There's another factor here. And, and I, and I think that the reason men mm-hmm. give each other a hard time is there's an added level of accountability to it. <laughs> there's a call out, which is a challenge, which makes men improve, right? Like if I'm training jujitsu with a friend of mine and I, and I give him a hard time because of how, you know, soft his hands are or something or how, how weak his grip is, well, then he's going to improve his grip, right? So there's a call out to it. But there's another factor here. And the factor is I need to know which men in my life are capable of holding their own. And if I get after, let's say you and I are playing around and we're, we're, we're at the game or, or we're training together and I give you a hard time and you crumble, then you're actually somebody I'm not interested in having my, in my yeah. corner. Yeah. Because if you can't handle a simple joke or you can't handle me giving you a hard time or holding you accountable to something, then how in the world are you going to handle uh, when things really get tough? And so it's a way, it's a litmus test for men to see, is this guy worthy of standing beside me? And you'll find a lot of men aren't worthy of it. And you'll find that there are a few who absolutely are. And we as men should be identifying who those guys are. Great point, man. Love it. I love it. Um, I I keep threatening to wrap this up, but uh, you you just got, you just full of good information, (laughs) man. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate what, it. Thank uh, you. <laughs> so I'm going to put I'm going to put the Order of Man um, website and a link to the book Sovereignty in the show notes. Um, and Great. you had mentioned that the I know the events for specifically the one in, in September, which I, I believe was a father son event, um, mm-hmm. is, is is sold out. And but you've got some winter events and all that's going to be listed on the website. Um, how, and yeah. you're, you're pretty active on social media. Usually it's not even listed. It's, it's usually not even listed on the website because I open it up and it just goes so quickly. Yeah. But yeah. if you go and you sign up for, for emails from us uh, or you follow me on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook at Ryan Mickler, that's usually well, where I'll announce these things and they sell out within a, a couple yeah. of days typically. So make sure you're following on the socials. That's important. And give, give everybody like what this father son event, is there, is there like a, just a synopsis you can give us real quick on that? Yeah. So the whole thing is designed to, to challenge men and their sons. And I'm using that term a little loosely because it's whether it's your biological son or adopted son or your nephew. Uh, we've had uncles bring their nephews. We've had brothers bring their their younger brother but it's a father figure type role and a son type uh-huh. role uh and and the whole goal is to push both of you physically mentally emotionally and then give you as the father or father figure the tools that you need to usher your young man into manhood into masculinity to help harness all the good that can come from you as a boy learning how to be the man that that, that people need you to be, that you want to be. And so we go through a series of tests and challenges and struggles and conversations and lessons. And it's, it's a rite of passage of sorts for young men between the ages of eight to 13. And it's very, very transformative for both the father and the son. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll bet it. Uh, That's, that's super impactful. 
Um, yeah, I, I'd love to do an event like that. Of course, I well, I've only got daughters, but um, I'm sure there's something out there. With um, yeah, we've been thinking about uh, the dynamic with a daughter would certainly change. Oh yeah, for sure, for uh, sure. There's some logistics there, some some of the dynamics that we'd need to change because you know if, if I have my boy at a father son event with 20 other fathers and their sons, um, you know I'm not going to probably be too concerned with that. But if my daughter was there with 20 other men, you it, know that, that would be, be a, that would be something that would be a concern. I wouldn't do it, right? So right, and I don't think a lot of fathers would rightfully so. Uh, so there would have, I've been thinking about that and I'm just rambling at this point, but there would have to be some logistical changes, but that is something that I have my eye on is some sort of father daughter, uh, event yeah, yeah. similar to what we do with yeah, the boys. Cool, man. I'd come out and see you in Maine. Yeah. I'd- yeah, man. We'd love to well, have you. I, uh, again, I, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on the show. Um, I've wanted to talk to you for a long time. So, um, yeah, I, I commend you on on your platform. Uh, your messaging, I think, is important. It's critical. It's one of those uh, things that's been missing out there in society. And and just be unashamedly um, proud to be masculine and and be a man. And it's not something to that that should be frowned on. And and I, I just I, I appreciate that vision. Um, and I think a lot of people would benefit from it. So um, while we're still recording, you you open to coming on the show again in the future. Yeah, anytime. You just uh, you let me know and we'll make right. it happen. I like to, I, I like to get that live, right? <laughs> yeah, well, good. Now now you can exactly. hold me to it, Ryan. I wanna I wanna yeah. keep track of your hunting season too, man. Um, and uh, and like I said, if you ever want to come out to Idaho and uh, chase some screaming elk, uh, let me know. Bring your boy out, and uh, we'll we'll get it done. Yeah, I would love to do that. So let's uh, let's sounds make it good. Happen. Thanks again, and uh, All take right. care, brother. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. All right, talk, talk soon. soon. Bye-bye. You made it all the way to the end. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. We sure appreciate your support. This is Jim Huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at Instagram at The Western Huntsman and on Facebook at The Western Huntsman. And you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com. Thanks again. We'll see you guys next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.